You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. Maybe you've never done Advent before. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Advent is the time of waiting. It's our, our, it's our alternative to Christmas time. Christmas is great. Love Christmas, but... Something monumental is about to happen, and it makes sense not to just spread the feast out all over everything. Kind of just bloated Christmas time is, I think, something that needs an alternative. We need a time of waiting, a time of drama, a time to enter into the new reality again, because... We are so easily conformed to the way things are. The way things are. The way things are is just such a vague idea, but it's so powerful. You know, we are so easily just kind of drifted into, I don't know, overstuffed Christmas for 25 days. Whereas we have this opportunity for Advent, which is means the approach. Something's about to happen. The world is about to turn. Have y'all ever had a mango? Have you eaten a ma- like a proper mango? Mashley has like in the Dominican Republic, where it's actually quite real. Uh, the mangoes we get here came off the vine green or off the tree green, and. Uh, they don't taste as good. Um, in fact, though, I don't think I had actually had like a mango until I went to Mexico. I had had mango supposedly. Can anyone imagine in their mind what a mango flavored candy tastes like? Does it taste anything like mango? Uh, I, I don't even. I can't. I don't know what mango flavor is. <laughs> you know, other other notorious artificial flavors. Can, can you name them? Grape tastes nothing like grapes. Where do we get that? Who made up grapes? Right. Who made up grape soda that that tastes like grape? Green apple. It doesn't really taste like grapes. It tastes more like purple. It tastes like purple, yes. Yes. Green apple, that's another good one. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sour, yeah. Oh, yeah, watermelon, too. I was also thinking of banana. Banana flavored candy? Or banana pudding? Yeah. The thing about banana is they don't taste off the fruit that you have now. Based off the original flavor of banana. Oh. Because bananas changed because there was a essentially a disease going to wiping out all the bananas, mm-hmm. and so they had to genetically mutate them to be resistant to that disease. Yes. And so it changed the flavor. And so now every Cavendish banana that we we eat is the same banana because that's how bananas divide. They don't have, they don't like get seeded. They get like chopped off and you plant a banana, and everything is a clone of the other. So there's actually like the same kind of fungal devastation at hand upon the Cavendish banana crop across the whole world. And bananas, as we know it, might be gone forever, unless the genetic modifiers save us. That was a total aside, Tom, but thank you. Artificial flavors, though. I I had a mango for the first time, even if it was the 90th time. I had a mango for the first time when I was living in Mexico. They were these little yellow mangoes, teardrop-shaped, 
with just like a little bit of a tilt on the teardrop. And what you would do with this, well, how I was taught to eat it, was you just bite the tip off of the skin, spit it out, and then you macerate it with your fingers and squeeze it right into your mouth. And it was like ingesting God food. It was, you know, that Greek idea of ambrosia, you know, the, the food of the gods. The, the Aztec people had God foods too. One was mango. Can you guess what the other one was? No. Avocado. And they were right. Yes. Yes. Now there were probably others too, but they had they had another another pantheon and another set of divine food. The real thing, you know, so different from the fake thing. Uh, I, the 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 real life version of this, this is not just a metaphor, is is the internet. Uh, the internet is so new um, that we don't really understand all of the ramifications of it for what it means to be a human being. Like, I think it threatens humanity and what it means to be a human. It may have already changed humanity, and maybe it's not a threat. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an advancement, I'm not sure, but I'm skeptical. Because what I see the internet doing is pushing us toward virtual we, we, especially social media, encourage us, encourages us to have this projection of a very carefully crafted and narrowing sense of self. You know, it allows us to find playmates all over the world that are into the exact same thing as us. Like, I don't know, can you name some weird thing on the internet that only... A couple of people are into, but the, a community is forming. You got one? Falconry. Falcon? Falconry. Falconry. Yo, I actually know a lot about that. They're only. <laughs> I would love to be in, in New Jersey. You can own a red tail hawk, but you have to you have to capture it in the wild, and you must be a, an apprentice to a licensed falconer in New Jersey, of which there are only five. <laughs> so I need to go find one of those New Jersey licensed falconers. Become their apprentice for several years, and then I can go and cat. Okay, whatever. I wanted to hear more about. I, I just it just so happens that I'm very interested in everything you're saying. Other ideas of things on the internet that are like just like why you know why are, why is this a thing? Pineapple pizza. Pineapple pizza. That's a universal good. No, I'm going for like you know I'm going for like the weird stuff. Come on, Tom. Tom, like like uh like. I'm into I'm into I'm into this company of anime. I'm into this company of board games, and I'm into uh, this particular political pundit. All three of those things must apply. And if they don't, we, you ain't part of our cool kids club because there's like two thousand of us that just fit perfectly into this. It just so happens that forty-seven are in Singapore and twenty-two are in the United States, plus wherever else. Say again. Thank Dank meme Trump supporters. Yes, Reddit is a place for finding uh, these categories. And like, and now I'm going to have this carefully defined, manicured sense of self, even about ridiculous things. You know, we refine our personhood abstractly and we become abstractions. This is, this is the danger to humanity. And I, I think that it's uh, mostly a product of the markers who are capitalizing on our desire feeding it back to us in very thinly veiled 
id and making mad bank because we want that. We want ourselves. We want this projection. We want to buy what we want. We want what we want to be justified. And the power of the technology of the internet allows them to sell it right to us. I heard that they're, they're, the newest technology is that they're going to, since all of our cars are wired to the internet now too, they're going to, well, yours isn't yet, Annalisa, but it will be soon, I'm sure. It'll be illegal to have a non-internet car soon, I'm sure. And they're going to, you know, apply your Google search history to the billboards that you're passing so that they oh can just God. they can just sell you the dank memes right there on 295 just for you, you know. <coughs> I think it work, might work in a more rural area where there's like less concentration, less than, you know, one one lane at a time. But yeah, they're they're really innovative in giving us ourselves and, and we are very receptive to ourselves. We like, we like the image we have created and we would like to be the image we are creating. But that image is banana flavoring. It's mangoes before the mango I had the first time I had a mango. It's grape soda. It's not the real us. This, this sense of self that we're projecting Advent is a time to get real. It's a time so that Jesus can meet us in our mess, like we were doing with this song. Oh, I want to I want to leave that song up there. I'm going to come back to that. Can you put that song up there, Deja? My my version of it. Uh, the okay, yeah, you'll get to it. But the second one, the one that starts uh, right here in a major. We'll get to that later, though. Uh, thank you. We're on the same page. Um, so Advent is a time for getting, for getting real, and for receiving a Savior that is actually fit to us in the ways that we need. The same kind of innovation that the marketers are doing to sell us our fake-ass selves, Jesus is coming to us to sell us our real selves, to sell us who we are and who we really want to be. And it's actually not for sale. I regret my little marketing faux pas, like little thing there. He's not selling it. He's giving it away for free. He's giving himself this impeccably manicured personal Savior is coming to us. Because God is the unknowable everything. The universe and time and space and transcendence and too many words to mention. Many, many words have been dedicated to describing God and none has come close. So God confined God's self to a human being so that God could be known. It's a big deal that God became a human being. It's, it's un, unimaginable, you know? It's a totally new thing in the way that humanity has ever perceived divinity. This line between the divine and human, immortal and mortal, the eternal and the now, coming together, that does not compute. 
but we needed that. We needed that bridge to be crossed. And Jesus came to walk around, to be born and to be put into a manger that looked a lot different than this nursery scene here. To live and breathe and sweat and die. And in his death and resurrection, he gave us his spirit so that he can come to us now alive in a new way and present to us in that perfectly fit kind of Savior that we need. The one that knows our need more than we do. The one that knows who we are more than we do. Because we're confused. We like the candy. We like the id. We like that that kind of raw stuff that we just kind of spew out on, 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 on Facebook or somewhere, you know, just for fun. We like having fun. It, 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 it fuels something in us. But God comes to us in a human being, perfectly fit to show us who we really are. Do y'all you, do you know what, a, what like a, I think it's called a scribe is? Like the tool that has like a little, it has like a, it looks almost like a compass. I, I should have gotten a picture of it, but it, it has a pencil on one side and then a little point on the other. So you can, you can go along the edge of like an uneven surface and mark something out. A really good carpenter putting in the, the, the porch floor will go up to the stone foundation and, oh, and scroll it out. They scroll the, the line so that it fits perfectly into each stone. And a really good mason will have it just, per, not mason, carpenter, like, will have it really tight against the masonry. That's, that's what Jesus does in becoming a human being and coming to us now. As remote as, as first century Palestine seems, it is so much closer than infinite time and space. So great to have this God who's a human, have this person who spoke and had a mind to create a movement that could reach us, a movement of which we are now a part, uh, a story that we are able to join and reenact that invented this custom of Advent so that we could enter into the reality of this drama again and again. We did it last year. We're doing it again. We need to. We forgot. You know, because we went back to the way things are and we started, you know, we started thinking that, you know, that those other mangoes were mangoes. Our theme for Advent across the church is welcoming the stranger. Because that stranger Jesus is strange. That, Jesus does not seem perfectly fit to me all the time. You know, I'm not, I'm not completely, as uh, the Martin Luther version said, I'm not completely fit for heaven. That everything Jesus does and everything that happens in the world, I'm all blissed out and I just totally understand it all and I'm happy with everything that happens. I don't have that experience. I don't think any of you do either. I'm not even going to ask. Um, but I do, I, 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 I do have a sense, these kind of glimmers of the reality, these kind of lights 
in the darkness, as it happens in a dark time of the year. That was really clever of the four fathers of the faith, too, to put it in the, in the winter in the northern hemisphere, where most of Christianity was happening, so that the, the actual, the daylight is even cooperating with the darkness of the year. The light is growing from here on out. Um, when we get to the solstice, that is. Um, so, we are welcoming this strange Jesus, this person who is not quite what we expect, this perfect Savior that we can kind of, we have this idea of, and I've been talking about for a while. But what does that actually mean? What is, what is, how does it actually fit? I think the answer lies in the personal. And Advent is a time for reflection on what's actually happening on the inside. What, what do I actually need? What do I actually want to love? What do I want to make my life about? What's the real thing in me that's going to be fit by Jesus? Because we want to see what's happening. We want to receive the gift, this perfect, hospitable Savior who anticipates all of our needs and, and, and even pushes us towards what we need the most. Jesus meets us in our need, in our messiness, in, w in when we don't know and we're not sure and we don't have it all worked out. It's kind of the opposite of the projection that most of us are thinking about putting out on the internet. Unsure, unprocessed, unaware. We feel that way because we are. And that's, Jesus is okay with that. If we deny our need, it's harder for us to receive this perfect gift. We want to change our minds about who we are and what we need. And we do that in this, like I said, the, the, the personal way. Henry Nouwen, it's also quoted to Carl Rogers, said one time that the most personal is also the most universal. There's this process that we can go through together of unstrangering. If we can get down to what's really happening and say, this is the weird thing that I'm thinking. This is the fear that, I, that keeps me up at night. This is the unique dream that I have. The details aren't going to be the same, but I think when you get down to really expressing yourself as and who you are, you're in God's territory, and you're, you're in unstrangering territory because other people are going to see themselves in the particularities of what you're doing. If you can't get down to like the marrow of what your desire really is, if you can't figure out and, and figure out how to share the real thing of who you are, you're going you're gonna to feel more isolated than you are. You're going to feel separate because you won't have the opportunity to see yourself in anyone else. 
you won't have the you, you won't have the the sense of resonance that is available when we get down to the specifics of who you are and who we are. You're not that different. As much as the world wants to divide us up, and dividing us up is a very lucrative business. That's kind of the other side of the whole internet niche thing. You can find people that are like you and like the stuff you like, even the weird, weird stuff that you like. But it's better to have that kind of tiny market for available for cornering. You know, I can get really into this little niche and let's keep these people separate so that we can sell them our stuff more easily. Universal is not very scalable, you know, in a marketing sense. They, they want us to be different. When in fact, the human experience is often, like I said, very similar. There's a resonance in adversity in the peace that you might feel, in the, in the hope that comes when it seems darkest. There are these stories that keep coming up and we keep living. And God wants to meet us in that and, and even have us meet each other. So real quick, I'm running out of time, but I wanted to tell the story of John the Baptist a little bit because he's our specific person for this week. He's the particular person that the church remembers on the second Sunday of Advent. And his particular story, as, as I imagine it, and as we receive it and kind of get into it, I think that we can have that experience with John. He happened a long time ago. He was a totally wild and strange person. But his experience with God, I think, is something that can resonate in that way that I'm trying to get at, in that kind of universal way that, that Jesus wants to show the world to be. So the first candle was for the prophets, and the second candle is for John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin and his friend, most likely. They, they, they probably grew up together a little bit. And John's parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, couldn't have a baby until they were very old when they had their miracle baby, John, who was announced to them by angels. Zechariah did not believe it. He said, how can this be? I don't, you know, how will I know? What will be the sign, he says. And the angel says, all right, you're not talking for nine months. <laughs> and until he obeyed God's command and named the child John, he, he couldn't speak. And then he sings a song, too. Uh, we were singing Mary's song before, but Zechariah has a song, too, uh, in, in Luke. Uh, John was given a special purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was to come. There's a lot of energy about waiting for the one in, the, in Israel at that time. They wanted someone to free them. They wanted someone to save them. And John was the one who would prepare the way. And so he got this movement going. His message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's kind of that same wildness that I was talking about. How could God come and be a human being? How could the kingdom of heaven be near? It's way up there. No, he says, no, it's near. Change your mind. Repent. It's not that far away. It's right here. In our experience, you're able to, you're able to access this. Repent. Be baptized. 
this, this baptism of repentance that he had was super popular. Everyone did it. People from all over the countryside came to him at the Jordan River and were baptized, including Jesus. Jesus comes to John as the inauguration of his ministry. It's the first thing he does to say, here I am, I'm ready. You know, in this song, I said, uh, uh, you're just a baby, it's not yet your day. We think that Jesus was just a baby for 30 years. You know, he was, he was, he was getting ready. He had to learn some stuff. He had to grow up. He probably had to learn about himself, just like every human being did. He had a whole human experience. He's not just some alien human. He's actually going through puberty, you know? Probably doing weird stuff, just like teenagers do. So Jesus comes to John to be baptized, and John says, no, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And, and Jesus says, no, this is to fulfill all righteousness, that I would identify with these people, the whole world, in this way. I don't need to repent of any sin, but I want to do this to identify with my people. So John baptizes him, and heaven opens up, and a dove descends and says, and there's a, a voice that people hear saying, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. But John goes on baptizing. You know, this is what he does. People still want to still want to be uh, receive this message. There's a bit of confusion, it seems. And what are we supposed to do now? In the in the book of John, John says clearly to his disciples, "Look, that's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go and follow him." A couple chapters later, he still has disciples. John does. They didn't all just leave. You know, this is my guy. John's my rabbi. He's the one who's taught me all this stuff. He's the one who lived in the desert for all those years, got this intimacy with God. He ate locusts and honeys and wore uh, camel skin hair. You know, he was just a total wild man prophet. People were like, wow, this is some authority. I guess that's how you get authority in those days. It's like, go live in the desert for 20 years. I mean, I'd probably give someone authority if they lived in the desert. Now. So, you know, they, they're they still faithful to John. And so in John 3, um, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, essentially, hey, Rabbi, I thought we were the ones who baptized people. Jesus is stealing our show over there. Here, let me, let me read the actual passage, John 32, John 3, 25 through 30. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples. Uh, disciples and another Jew over purification. That's baptism. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think that's John's pain right there. That's John's difficulty. He had this great big ministry. And I'm just imagining this. This is how he, I imagine he might have felt. Because I want to get 
I want to have that sense of unstrangeness with John. I want to be intimate with him. I want to have that resonance with him. So I'm imagining John must have had to really figure out what it means to let go. Because he had this big ministry. People were flocking to him. He had this authority. He had spent his whole life like preparing to be this special prophet. And then he succeeded at it. Like it actually worked. Where he, what he, he set out to do when he was a baby, leaping for joy in his mother's womb, he actually achieved it. And it, it had great success. Of course God was with him in it. But I can imagine it being very hard to say, he must increase and I must decrease. And the reason I, I just assume that is because I'm a human being and I know what it's like to let go. To let go of a good thing. Do you know what it's like to let go of a good thing? And the pain of that? I think in our intimate relationships, it's, it's, a, it's a part of success. We're going to have to let go of some of our desires, let go of some of our goals, to cede to the other. That's one example of it. I'll ask you for a few more in a second, but here I'm wrapping up. Uh, I think that one of the keys to John's success at letting go was this, this phrase that comes in the middle of his little talk there in, in John 3. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. He has this sense of the source of all things being from God. The source of all goodness. The, you know, the, this artificial culture that I've been trying to describe and work with tonight is an alternative source. And it, and it is the source of the way things are that I started with. It's the source of, of why we drift towards this kind of uh, glut, I would call it. At least I do. It wants us to do something other, to receive from someone other than heaven. And it's easy. There's lots of distractions, lots of, you know, degrees of separation between the source of all goodness and the perfect Netflix recommendation. I want to receive the perfect Netflix recommendation. By the way, it's Anne with an E. The best show ever. <laughs> um, it, just, it was perfect. Thank you, algorithm. And God, you know, for these artistic people that made this amazing show about this book I loved when I was a kid. And they did it so well. You know, I, I have to, it's easy to stop long before, and it's kind of ridiculous even for me to say it, that Anne with an E is a gift from God. But I believe it. And I think that's what Advent is for, is for stripping away all of the stuff that's in the way of that, that immediate connection that God wants to have with us. Because that's what God does. Comes right to us in all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our specificities, all of our inadequacies, right to us, right into the mess of our specific human life to say, I'm here. I want to be here, right here with you. And so we receive God during Advent, we prepare ourselves to receive the gift of God as a human baby by clearing out as much as we can so that, so that we can see, too, what God sees, so that we can have a face-to-face -face 
connection and not not just be seen by this this God who can do anything he wants, but also to look back and, and to, to see ourselves with God. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.